Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Gang, welcome this morning. How's everybody doing? We are going to be in Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, you want to find your way there this morning. Um, it is Passover week, we're moving into Holy Week. Um, and this series we've been on in discipleship, we've been journeying with Jesus and his disciples as he's leading them, and his own purpose is moving towards Jerusalem and moving towards the cross and obviously the resurrection. And uh, in Luke 22, we come to that weekend, that Holy Week, uh, we come to Passover where he institutes the Lord's Supper, and that's what we're going to look at um, here uh, this morning. Before we dive in, though, one quick announcement, I have one. And uh, I just want to encourage you, we, um, part of this year, uh, we're doing our people building project, and that entails several different things. One is an emphasis on discipleship this year, we're really trying to encourage everyone. If you haven't been in a discipleship group, haven't, you have any questions about that, talk to us, we'd love to um, obviously uh, help you on that journey. The other one is microchurches, is getting into basically home churches, right? Um, place to plug in on a smaller level with people and to grow. We've got community groups as well, all kinds of things. Um, and many other things we're going to roll out this year. But one of the things is some technology, and it's called Squirrel. And uh, you can go to our webpage, and you can find out how to download Squirrel. The app, Brent Phillips, who was on staff here for a long time, is the developer of this. What's the reason behind this? The reason behind this is so that we'll get off maybe wasting time on people we're not connected with and use Squirrel to connect within the body. Now, this is really, really some great stuff in here. And uh, if, you do, if you go, you download it, then it's, it's completely private, completely um, secure, and it's a way to connect in the body. You can make your own channels. So we have a lot of our groups now. Everybody has their own channels. So you can keep track of your communication. Um, all kinds of really cool stuff on here, too. Obviously, a place to post things and everything. But um, let me just give you a couple of cool things here. A lot of our podcasts are all on here. Our weekly email, everything's on here. Um, but uh, you can go. We have our prayer requests on here. So this is for our prayer words. You can go find those prayer requests and any needs. The next one is needs in the body. So if you, need, you have a need for something, it could just be you need a washer or dryer or something. Put it on here. And uh, it's amazing how the body helps serve the body here. Uh, crossroads swap. I mean, many of you maybe look at the Roaring Fork swap. Well, we got crossroads swap. So if you got something to give away, if you got something for sale, right, put it on here. Marketplace. We want to know what you do. And to advertise, just, just post something on here. It'd be great to find, right, um, what everybody's doing and has to offer out there. Many of you are part of the Daily Audio Bible, listening to that, going through the Bible in a year. There's a place to uh, post and just go see what people are thinking, looking, hearing about their experience on that. We have all of our podcasts on here, many other things on here. And like I said, you can make your own channels on here. And so um, just encourage you. Got any questions? Chris and Brian are our gurus on that, but the instructions on our webpage. And just encourage you to download that and come kind of step in, be part of the community. Um, we just want to harness that technology, right, to help us be more aware of what is going on, right, with each other and really to get us off wasting a lot of time on things that really don't pertain to our life and our relationships in a big way. So that's my squirrel announcement for the day. Um, let me just begin, throw out a big question for you. How does it feel when somebody invites you to their house for dinner or for a meal? Yeah, right? 
Well, there's something just powerful about that, isn't there? It's a universal thing, table fellowship. You know that? Throughout culture, throughout history, being around a table with others, is, there's something profound about that. It's, it's how we connect. There's something, there's a value that's put there, and some of the deepest things in all of life happen when we are invited right, to join others at their table, right, around table fellowship. And, um, and folks, I just, uh, I'll tag this as we go along this morning, but as we think this crazy year we've been through and all the isolation and, and the exposure of all of our independence as Americans and everything, I just, as the church, and all through the Bible, the, the, the admonition for us, the encouragement for us is to be people who are hospitable, and specifically what that means is people who invite others to our table, right? People who, who look around and who doesn't have a place, right, to, to go to. There's one main reason why bars exist. There's one main reason. It's because people are, yeah, two, maybe two, maybe three, but one main one, <laughs> right? People don't have a better invite. They, don't have a, they haven't been invited to fellowship around somebody's table. I'm here to tell you, nobody's going to go hang out in a bar, right, if someone invites them to their table for dinner, for a meal, right, in an intimate setting of just inside our home. And if I forget to say it, let me just say, I, I know, because I hear this, we all wrestle with this stuff, well, I don't have a big, nice, fancy home, and I don't know how to cook, and all this kind of, we have a thousand excuses for not being hospitable, and let me just say, it doesn't matter how big your house is, doesn't matter how nice your table is, doesn't matter if you're a, a gourmet cook, like I think 99% of people in Aspen are, um, but, uh, you know, taking 10, you know, whatever, cooking classes or something, is none of that matter. I mean, if, if that's your deal, awesome, bless somebody. But do not let that keep you from being hospitable. If it's just having pizza, no problem. Is, is there something great? In other words, we need to have the value of what's happening around that table be, be rise, rise above the quality of the meal or the, you know, how, how neat and tidy everything is. And that's the other thing, right? We think, oh my gosh, it's so much work to, you know, we got to get the house ready. We got to, uh, you know, we just get all this stuff that we just, I don't know where that comes from, honestly. It's pretty simple, and you know what? It's, they, it, it, we just need to simplify it. Not let all get all worked up about all this kind of stuff, but focus on what it is. Hey, let's have a meal together. Come on over. I don't know what we're going to have. We'll pull something out of the cupboard, but let's just uh, hang out together uh, over a meal. You got to cook something anyway. You got to have dinner anyway, right? And uh, so, so just kind of dispel of all the um, um, excuses, right, that we all right, really struggle with. It doesn't matter how big your house is. Table's a table, right? And, uh, and there's something that um, profoundly can happen there. And, and just on this note, gang, um, I, I think I just want to say, I hope, you, I hope you hear this loud and clear. And again, welcome everybody watching online. Is, um, you know, something that, that happens, and I think we all go through season of this, and we just, we kind of get, we feel like, wow, oh, I, 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 you know, um, we kind of get stuck and maybe even into kind of a grumbly mood because we haven't been invited somewhere and so we're not going to invite or we get caught up in, in the idea of, well, if I invite them, maybe they'll invite me and, and we need to stop all that stuff. And, and the reality is, is if I am not stepping forward and doing what God calls me to, which is to be hospitable with my table, right? I shouldn't worry about whose table I'm being invited into because if I can keep focused on I'm obeying the Lord, guess what's going to happen? 
You're going to be a person that is invited. You're going to be a person that profound things happen around your table. God is going to bless, right? And, and, I, and this is just something that permeates a lot of our attitude is just because I'm not experiencing this because I haven't been invited or whatever it is, is it keeps us from moving forward and being obedient to being hospitable, right, ourselves, right? And, and the other thing that happens is, all right, some of us is we'll get invites all the time, but we never host ourselves, Right? is I, I, would just, I just want to challenge us all on that. Is no, we are all called. It doesn't matter whether I'm, again, like I said, a good cook or my house is neat and tidy is, or how big it is, is I'm called to be a hospital. Who am I inviting right, to share my table? And, um, and here's the, the biggest of all thoughts. Do you know that Jesus desires fellowship, table fellowship with you? You know, the creator of all the universe, the one who breathed all that into creation, the one who formed you in your mother's womb, the one who knew you, your own unique personality, you like all others in all the universe, he wants fellowship, intimate table fellowship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to, hang on, and not some formal, and again, this is what we're going to blow up this morning, is this very ritualistic idea of, of the Lord's Supper, it is table fellowship. It's what Jesus modeled is what we're getting ready to read here. People around the table loving each other and laughing and, and sharing a meal and getting to know each other and, and putting Jesus at the center of it, right? Letting him be the one who binds us together and be the main conversation, right, that, that is going on uh, around that table. Man, our Lord desires fellowship with us. Now that concept, and again, and, and, and we're in this, discipleship series, and so I'm going to go over, just pull out of the, um, Luke 22, which I'm going to read here in just a second, just some, some big questions for us to think about, and, and like I did last week, is these questions cannot be really worked out in my soul in a large group, or even alone, is they need to be worked out man on man, in a, just like Jesus did with the 12, right, in a discipleship, a small group of women who, who get in and really ask these questions deeply, and we journey and encourage and pray for one another as we learn to follow Jesus. The course of that learning to follow Christ is he modeled it for us, it's discipleship. This is the very foundation of the, and the very base of Christianity 101 of what the Great Commission is, is to go make disciples. And I can't make disciples until I'm first discipled, until I learn, right, to be a part of a group and I learn from them what this, what this really looks like. This has to be restored, right, in the, in the church, right, today. And so just hang with that concept this morning. Your Lord, Jesus, he desires, God Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, desires table fellowship with us, with you. And... Um, you know, part of the amazing miracle and, and, uh, of the incarnation of Jesus coming and taking on flesh, God, second person of the Trinity, coming, being like us. You know why? I mean, people say, we're going to get into that in just a minute. Why did he have to do that? Because he wants fellowship with you. Not some, you know, some vague burning bush experience, which is good. That's the Father, right, on the throne. No, a real experience. It is Jesus who shows us the Father. Jesus came in right now. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's in a resurrected body, a physical body. For all eternity, he'll be in a body that, guess what, can relate to you in a powerful, intimate, real way. 
And he desires that. And from the beginning of the Bible to the end, this is God working this out. How can a holy God bring sinners and, and, and those outcasts and, and those who've run from him with all of our messes, how can he bring these people to the table of a holy, perfect God? How can that happen? It's only one way. Right? The power of sin and the power of death, those two things must be conquered. Right? It's through his grace. This is the good news. This is the amazing right things. Not just to forgive us of our sins. There's a bigger plan. That, that, that is the means of the ultimate goal is because Jesus wants you with him. And he wants you around the table so he can have fellowship with you, so he can open up your whole life to what he called abundant life. It starts now and it goes all right into eternity. Um, so with that said, let me dive in here. And read, um, read the Word of God. This is Luke uh, 22. There's so many themes here. I'm not going to have time to touch base on this morning. I just commend this to you for further study. Um, some of these things that we'll be um, looking at. But here's, here's the background before we read. As I said, Jesus is on his way. It's his holy week on his way um, to Jerusalem. And um, this is Passover. And we're going to read about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover were two Jewish feasts that they were commanded out of, they were commanded seven total in the Old Testament to, um, to, uh, to, to celebrate with God. And the first of these is Passover. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days, and those two throughout history kind of get glumped together. Um, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, then Feast of First Fruits. And 40 days, 50 days later is Pentecost. And those are the four feasts in the spring. Then in the fall, and if you have any Jewish friends, you know come fall, you have Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets, right? And then right after that is the, fe- is a, um, the Day of Atonement, right? Yom Kippur. And then it ends with Sukkot. And uh, folks, I don't have time to get into the, the, the beauty. In those seven feasts that God gave Israel is the picture of what God desires. What's the journey from Passover, sacrificing the lamb, until Sukkot? Sukkot is what? Building the tent that God can what? Abide. That God can be with us. And he's working this out. And the amazing thing is that Jesus came along and those first four feasts he fulfilled on the day perfectly. It's absolutely impossible for all that to happen that he celebrated Passover, that he was the sacrificial lamb. The day of um, Feast of Unleavened Bread, he's in the ground, right? The leaven is sin. He's covering it. On Feast of First Fruits, what does he do? He defeats the power of death. He raises you can't work that out. 50 days later, what happens to the church? It's birth. Boom. Holy Spirit. Boom. On the day of Pentecost. And so here's the good news. We're going to look at it this summer um, in a, the summer series and talking, kind of looking forward to the end times a little bit. Um, but uh, if Jesus fulfilled perfectly the first four, he's going to fulfill the three in the fall perfectly. Feast of Trumpets, he will return. And he's coming, as we're going to see, with his kingdom. Day of Atonement, right? He will be exalted. He will bring justice once and for all, pure justice. Until then, right, it's the age of grace. We've got to get the word out of this glorious news, right? And then finally, Sukkot, right? It's where his kingdom will come, right? The kingdom of God come to this earth. Again, we will be with him in his kingdom, abundant life for eternity, reigning and ruling what he originally gave us to do in the Garden of Eden, which was to steward his glorious uh, creation um, for him. And um, so that's just the lay of the land. We're stepping in here to, to Passover now. Now here's something 
We'll look at it in just a minute, but is we don't want to confuse too much Passover and the Lord's Supper. Passover is once a year, it's the first of the Jewish feasts, and it's at Passover here that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Passover is to celebrate one time a year, Lord's Supper is to be celebrated how often? As often as we can. Anytime believers are together, right? Not just once a week, not just once a month, not just in some high holy place that a, a, a priest has to do it or something like that. You are the priesthood, by the way, if you know Jesus. It will be broken in homes when we gather together with our children. It is um, a profound thing that we're to do in remembrance of him, right? That was instituted at, at Passover for us to remember him, right? All right, here we go. Luke 22. 1 through 20. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one who was um, of the number of the twelve. And he went away and he conferred with the chief priests and, he, and the officers how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and they agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go prepare the Passover for us, which was slaughtering of a lamb, which was getting bitter herbs, which was getting the unleavened bread, which was getting the wine and was establishing a place, the upper room, a place where they could share this meal together. And in the context here is Jesus wanted this Passover. He wanted a private Passover just with his inner 12 because he was getting ready to go to the cross, right? Just this, this evening is when he was arrested and we'll look, pick up next Sunday <clears throat> on those themes. And they said to him, where will, we, where will we prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a, a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where's the guest room where I may eat um, the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table um, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Notice before he goes to the cross. Don't miss this. He earnestly desired this evening, this table fellowship. This is this powerful, profound thing that is going to happen here. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. But the Son of Man goes on, it has, as it has been determined. But woe to that man um, whom he betrays. Um, the word of God. So what's happening here? A, a Seder, a Passover meal, typically has four cups. One of those cups, I believe it's the second cup. First cup is the blessing cup. I believe the second cup is the cup of wrath. And remember, the Passover itself was first 
instituted in Egypt, okay? And, um, and Egypt is this wonderful picture, right, of, of salvation um, itself and of God delivering his people, right, being the Savior, Moses, the picture of the Savior, Pharaoh being the picture of Satan, the one who is the king of the world, the world's power. Egypt pictures the world and the world's kingdoms that put people in bondage. Moses comes, right, delivers the people. He's the the Savior, taking them to the promised land. It's the picture, right, of of what God has been doing. He's coming after us. He wants, again, table fellowship with us. He must redeem us. He must redeem, right, this world. And um, again, there's so many ties there, right? And, and And the Passover was the last of the plagues before the people got free from Egypt and it was there, right, that they were to slaughter a lamb, put the blood over the, the post and the death angel when it passed, it would um, pass over, that's what they were mean. it would pass over that house and um, the blood would cover their sin, okay? And we see coming to the New Testament and many pictures all through the Bible as this Bible in, connects beautifully, right? It is Jesus who is the Lamb of God. He is the perfect sacrifice, God preparing, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. No amount of religion, no amount of spiritual steps or anything could get us there to get us to the table. You can't be good enough to sit at the table with a perfect God. It's impossible. Only he can do it for us. And this has been his plan all along, is to send his son to do it for us, right? And we receive that, right, by grace. And it's in this Seder ceremony, this, this Passover ceremony, that we see there's four cups, as I was mentioning, and the second one is the cup of wrath. And that cup is not to be drunk, but Jesus drank it. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, if we read a little further, he goes out there and he's praying. He goes further, deeper in praying. He's praying so intensely, drops of blood, right? And, and before the Father, what is he asking? Father, may this cup be taken from me. What cup is he talking about? The cup of wrath. And this is what Jesus took for us, that he's, he took all the wrath of the world, all the payment of sin, justice, pure justice, on that cross for us completely. He paid the price. He's the perfect sacrifice, right, for us um, on that table. And he institutes, right, the Lord's Supper. So I got just a couple questions. And again, I, I hope you'll take these questions and realize is that I can only personally process these questions only so far. If I'm not journeying with others to encourage me, to hold me accountable, to push me on, and to really ask deep questions. And one of these questions we start with is, is just kind of a basic but profound question is, do I desire fellowship with Jesus? Do I? And how do I know? Because there's a whole bunch of other things, right, that keep us busy and distracted. And folks, it's kind of profound, but just alarmingly sobering, whatever we want to say, when we look at, Jesus, look at uh, Judas, Jesus loved Judas. Judas had every chance to receive the grace that Jesus offered him. But you know what? Here's the reality. Judas did not want fellowship with Jesus. What did Jesus want? Yeah, he wanted money. He wanted power. He wanted his own agenda. He wanted his own political agenda. He had his own agenda that he was willing to go secretive on. And and John tells us that he was, you know, sifting money from the money bag is that Judas was there. He was among them, right? And, and, and he got to see signs, wonders, and miracles. He got to experience the absolute unconditional love of Jesus. And still, in the midst of all that, you know, when it came right down to it, he did not want fellowship with Jesus. 
He couldn't see past his own agenda. He couldn't see past just his bondage of the world and money and, the, and power. And the, you know, in, in his mind, Jesus needed to be a political ruler to come in and get rid of the Romans. And he just couldn't get past it. And he missed it. It's pretty, pretty shocking, right, what happens, right, to um, when we give ourselves to the world. And so we have to keep asking ourselves an honest question. Do I want fellowship with Jesus? Or do I want Jesus just to bless my agenda? Do I want God just to bless what, what I, here God's, here's what I think you need to do, just bless that. That's Judas. And that's a profound question, right, that we have to ask because this is where salvation comes. This is where, right, the very essence of my heart and my affection and what's really going on inside. And, and a lot of us, we, we need someone to really pull that out of us. We need someone to love us and, and that we can really be raw and honest with and just say, man, this is where I'm at. I'm just numb right now. I just kind of want to do my own thing. I just want to escape. I just, you know, um, I just don't know about this Jesus thing. I... Uh, you know, um, man, I heard a, does anybody get into Jordan Peterson? Anybody know that name? Anybody read? He, you know, he's, anyway, um, big intellectual guy. He's not a believer, but man, I, I saw a recent thing of his, and he was interviewing with an Orthodox Christian, actually. And Peterson, I don't know if you've journeyed with him, but he's, he's, he's really, he was here with the Institute last summer, um, or summer before. And, um, and I just remember he was, he was just almost in tears. This is a, a, a very, uh, he's a, a, one of the top known intellectuals in the world. And, um, and he was almost in tears and, and they were just talking about belief and, and, and with his big brain, he just couldn't get past Jesus. He just, he just couldn't and he, and he made this comment. He says, man, I, I just don't know. If I was to believe that, if I was to believe Jesus, I just don't know what would happen. I was like, wow, he's that close. He's that close, right? And, and so somebody, and this guy that was kind of, they were doing a podcast together, was, was just very gentle and just let him, just open his, gave him space. This intellect, this top, one of the top intellects to just be brutally honest, to go where most intellectuals, by the way, and I've engaged a lot of them, they're not willing to go. They're going to keep it right here. They're going to keep it into the facts and the data and, and the, the degrees and the logic. They're not willing ever to go down here to what do you really believe? What's really going on? Let's connect the heart into this thing. What do you really, what's your real fears? What are you really wrestling with, right? That's the question. Man, we desire fellowship with Jesus, right? That moves us in, along in this process of table fellowship to the next one. Do we know why Jesus came to die on the cross and rise from the dead? Do we know? Why did he have to come? And you say, well, it's just a basic question. Of course, I'm a Christian. He came to die for my sins. Is that it? Is that all I got? Here's the biggest question that most people have, and here's, the, here's where the church has to be the witness and get people into dialogue, because this is it. Most people are saying, why did, he have to, why did he have to come? Why did Jesus have to die, that gruesome death? Why? Why did he have to do this? Right? I, I, and, and that just kind of, when they see the blood, they crawl, and they're just like, you know. They need someone to dive in with them on this issue. They need someone, right, that, that has their Bible and, and sees it as a love story. I said at the first service, um, I, I saw somewhere recently, every one of us should take our Bibles, go to the beginning of Genesis, and write to Steve. Put your name in there, to whoever. 
And go to the end of the Bible, the end of Revelation, and write, love God. It's a love story. It's God's plan throughout history of how he wants to love this world, but to deal with deep, dark, real issues that bind us. And, and to deal with the real enemy of our souls, there's a real Satan, there's real evil in this world. And there's only one who's dealt with it. And when he died on that cross, he didn't just do, just didn't do what it took to forgive me of my sins. He defeated the enemy himself. He defeated the, the evil one himself. He brought about pure justice and the means for pure justice that you can be loving and just at the same time. And if you can't, there is no solution. And there's really no great um, solutions to any of the best dreams that mankind has unless we solve those two issues, which is what do we do about man's evil? What do we do about the evil that is inside every one of us? The tendency towards sin. Selfishness. Go on down the line. And what do we do about the problem of death? Only Jesus has solved those two, and we need to step into people's worlds and wrestle with this. How are you going to have a concept of the world when you have no solution for evil? And folks, we just repeat ourselves. As evil as the Holocaust was, guess what? It just keeps repeating itself, repeating itself, repeating itself, right? Just a different form. There's only one who has a solution, and the church is to model that, right? And so we need to really press in with people on, on, this, on this issue and understand ourselves before we come to the Lord's Supper and celebrate. Oh, I need to just be diving in with others of what does this mean for me personally? His death, his, his, the broken bread, the, his body, the, the spilled blood. What does that mean for me? I mean, really mean for me and for the world. And I've got to know both of those if I'm going to grow, right, in my intimacy with God in this process. This leads us to the next one. Do we know why and how we are to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Do we know? I'd be willing to bet that probably unless you went through a confirmation or, or some kind of catechism class or something, and maybe you even forgot it, that, that you, you, you don't really understand, no one's really taught you or led you into a process of really understanding, wow, what really goes on around the Lord's Supper? What is this all about? How am I to enter into that? I mean, what does that look like, right? And um, I, I, I think mo a lot of what we've learned is just not biblical, right? Um, this is not to be something that is high ritual, high where there's you know, certain classes of people and nowhere in the Bible does it say there's a certain group of people, pastors or priests that can handle the elements and there's only one place that you can do it. None of that, that's man's tradition, and religion. Jesus models for us. And he says to the guys, as they go out and develop the church, the 12, as often as you do this. And we step into the book of, of Acts, the early church, what did they do? After they all met in the big group in Solomon's portico in Jerusalem, is it says that they split up and went into smaller groups into each other's homes, and guess what? They broke bread. They broke bread. They, they had communion. At the center of their fellowship was Jesus and his broken body, the bread, and the wine, his spilt blood, and the giving of thanks in the midst of that context. It is to be a fellowship, right, dinner table type of atmosphere where people come together and rejoice that Jesus at the center, what he's done for us. And you don't have to have some professional person there checking the box to do it. 
We should be doing it with our children. We should be doing it with friends and family who come over and others that we invite over, rejoicing, breaking bread together. And the breaking bread, folks, is around a meal. It's not just something we're to do like we have to here, obviously, because we don't have time for a whole big meal right now. But it's to be fellowship at a table. This is what we want, isn't it? And this is the problem is I think growing up, our kids, they come to church and it says, oh, we're going to take communion. No one's ever explained to them, why are we coming up? What's the, what's the deal with the bread? What's the little, little, little wafer that tastes terrible and the little juice? What's this all about? And, you know, um, instead of singing in a context around a dinner table, people are laughing, loving, praying for each other and celebrating what Jesus has done for us and giving the testimony for it. That is the Lord's Supper. That is, and by the way, First Peter tells you you're the priest. You're now a priesthood. Jesus saved you, right? And as Moses said, oh, I long for the day that he makes everybody, all of his children, priests, right? And um, we've gotten that wrong. And no matter where we step into this, um, you know, the, the Catholics do transubstantiation that the actual body, the bread and the wine turn into the presence of Jesus. We have the, the Lutherans went a little further, went a little different route and say his presence in the midst of that. And then we have the evangelical church that says, oh, it's just kind of memorial. Well, you know what? It's something, it, we need to take all of that. There's something to learn from all of that is he is really with us. It is not just some ritual. It's not just some memorial symbolic thing. It is that Jesus desires to fellowship with us around the table. He is there. And so the question is, how, uh, how do we know, how do I do this? How do I come in? I'm just going to scratch the surface here. Just write down 1 Corinthians 11, right? And uh, realize that it says there several things. One, that we're to come in a worthy manner. We'll talk about that. Second one is that we're to examine ourselves. And we're to do this in remembrance of what he's done. And we're to do it as often as we come together. In other words, it should be a regular part of what we do. Whether we're with, you know, four of us around the dinner table or our family or whether it's, we've got a whole group of people or whether it's the big church all gathered together. Often. Because it represents a celebration of his presence and sets our eyes on the future that he, when he, he longs, right, for us, as he's saying here, to come and to feast with him when he returns, right? And to understand that's our Lord. Is it just kind of simplifies that? And I think a lot of us have grown up and it's just been so complicated with so many kind of high ritualistic, mysterious things. Oh, there's mystery in there, all right. But you know, it, it, it's about the heart. It's about getting in touch with the, the, our Lord's heart for us and in the fellowship he desires, right, for us to have, okay? And um, so let me come back to the worthy one because this is, um, I think, the one that's the deepest. It says, come to the table in a worthy manner. Well, wow, how do I do that? How, how, do, how can I get worthy enough to actually come and, and be a part of a dinner table, a fellowship table with the God of the universe, with Jesus. How, do I, how can I get myself worthy? How do I do that in a worthy manner? And folks, this is, this is where we have to understand. This is the power of the gospel, right? Is that it doesn't matter who you are, right? Is that the, the way of getting there is the same. In other words, worth, being worthy is the same for all of us. And it's what Jesus has done for us. 
Is it, am I coming to that table because I know Jesus and I've received him? He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I've confessed, as Romans 10 says, I've confessed with my mouth he's Lord and Savior. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. By faith, I come to the table. Not by my works. You know, no matter how good you are, no matter how religious you are, no matter what you've gone through, none of that makes you worthy to step in and sit at that table with God. Only one thing. It's faith. Do you believe him at his word? That he's come to make you worthy. To make you worthy. And when it says come in a worthy manner, it means I need to set aside, I'm feeling good about myself, right? Is I need to be overwhelmed by Lord your grace. You have redeemed me. You have loved me. You have unconditionally poured out your grace upon me. You have saved me. You have covered all my sin, past, present, and future. You are the perfect sacrifice. And when you said it's finished, it's finished. And folks, you know what happens? Think about this. Think about your family, your children. Think about us coming together at the table. What happens when people come with Jesus at the center and we come with that kind of attitude? What kind of fellowship is that? We come and, and everything just kind of, what? Becomes authentic. And we rejoice in the grace that we each need to be at this table and our eyes get on Jesus, the honored guest who's always right to be at that table. And so just we're getting ready to come and celebrate this morning as we end and um, I want to uh, just right now stop and, and pray. For anybody watching online, anybody here, if you're not sure how to come to this table in a worthy manner, if you, if you don't have the actual confidence that at some time in your life you said a prayer to God, a simple prayer, making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Just follow me right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior of this world and of my life. I'm not worthy. I have nothing to bring before a holy, perfect God except by faith to receive your grace, your love for me, be my savior. Forgive me. Embrace me. Bring that abundant life. I love you, Jesus. And I want to fellowship with you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer for the first time, I encourage you to get with somebody, start a disciple, start fleshing that out, the, rea- the reality of his promises in your life. If you're here, we'd love to talk to you and journey. But that leads us to one last thing, one last question, and the most important of all, I think. One that we need to wrestle with. Do you know how to experience the presence of Jesus? Do you know how to rejoice in his presence? Do you know how to enjoy him? Do you know when he's present? And... Um, just as we kind of move to the table here this morning, I want this passage. This is the last book of the Bible. This is what Jesus says to the church. He says, behold, I stand at the door, I knock. I knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and dine with them. I'll have table fellowship with them. We have to invite him in. You know, he, he doesn't barge in. He doesn't just come in because we do communion. Do you know that? He doesn't just come in because we come and we do, the, we do our religious thing. 
He doesn't come in because some pastor, some religious leader like says a prayer over the elements. No. His presence must be invited. He goes where he is desired. Look at the whole Old Testament. He goes, his presence goes to those who want him in here and as a church. And, um, and so, folks, I just want to lead us here. I want to do something a little different. I want us to take communion all together this morning. So just as I'm praying, just come up as the Lord leads and grab the, little, the juice cup and the bread and, and just go back to your seat. And here in just a moment, we're, we're going to partake right together as we close out this service. Um, but I'm just going to pray, gang. Let's just invite him in, right? And I just ask you, if you're a regular at Crossroads or whatever church you're a part of or wherever you're at, is, boy, let's do, let's, I think God is restoring this in his church today. Let's just have an attitude of praying for each other, for our church. Lord, Jesus, come in. The doors are open to you, God. Any barrier, any division, any, anything I have, Lord, let me not be a barrier. Let there not be a quenching of the spirit here. Just come in. Please, we want you here. And we begin that discussion with my own heart. Jesus, come. I don't want any barriers. I want you in here. I want your real manifest presence by the Holy Spirit in. I want that, God. I want that table fellowship. And folks, I encourage you to do it with your house. Jesus, come into this house. Why is it we say grace before our meal? Think about it. It's, it's, it's by grace that we're worthy to sit around the table and give him thanks for the food. Folks, your dinner table is the most powerful place of mission in this whole city. If we would just obey God and, and see our table as, as, as a place to be hospitable and bring people to that table, love on them, and share with them the goodness of Jesus. Wow. People are looking for that, folks. A place to be real, a place to have real deep, <laughs> healthy conversation. Imagine that. So, Father, we come to you, and Lord, please, Jesus, come just crash in this place. Lord, I think of, of Acts 4, Lord, where the rafters shook. Lord, um, Father, we want you here. Make us a people, make us a church, make us a community that desires you, Jesus, to be at the center of all we do. I pray a blessing over every house here, every house watching online. Jesus, be the center of that house. Come crashing into that house, Lord. Bring unity. Bring joy. Lord, restore table fellowship. Restore hospitality, God. Restore the Lord's Supper, Father, for what it is, God. For what it is. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.